0: Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. I don't want to waste a lot of time with intros today or anything, but it's been interesting to me because there was a question uh, in week one when we looked at, we went back to Adam and Eve and it was really important we went back to, because that's where grace was started to me. That was the breakdown um, with creator and creation when the sin happened and all of a sudden there was this huge chasm. So we had to go back to that. If you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to look at Old Testament stories and it's because of this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a guy walk up to me and said, Pastor Bobby, tell me the difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. And I said, huh? And he goes, yeah, the Old Testament God is wrath and destruction. And I was like, no, there's, there's a lot of grace in there. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stories about God's redemption power. And so that's why we started down, down this road of doing these Old Testament stories. And last week, we looked at Abraham. And we looked at the whole redemption story there, and today we're going to look at, and probably a lot of you have heard uh, of King David, but, 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 but Tracy asked a question last week, and have you ever been asked a question that's kind of awkward? You kind of don't know how, like, you don't know what to do with your hands? Well, that was last week. I was sitting right there doing first service. I'm assuming during this service last week, he asked the same question, and he says, when's the last time that you messed up? It got real quiet in the room, just like it just did right there. Like, oh, you will make me raise my hand up? No, I'm not going to make it, just relax. And he said, like, when's the last time you blew it? I'm not just talking about little, you know, you, you said something at church that you shouldn't have said. Or, you know, when, when, when I ran you off the road, you gave me the, your number one. Like, no, nah, I'm not talking about that, right? Like, that happened. Or you stub your toe and you say a wordy dirt. I mean, it happens, right? I'm talking about big ones. Like, like, really big ones. Ones that if anybody else knew about, you'd be embarrassed. And we all have them. Everybody in this room has that thing, you know, the the nighttime surfing, you know, the addiction that nobody knows. Everybody has one. And so it made me think, I want to ask the question again because nobody answered it last week. When's the last time you blew it? Like, really? And you came clean to God. Or or maybe you walked into this place today and you haven't come clean yet. And maybe today's the day to come clean. Maybe today's the day that the Holy Spirit does whatever the Holy Spirit does and works in you. And you go, yep. Yep. That's me. Um, It's interesting because I was reading a story about a, a lady that she blew it. And this is what she did. She came out of the store. She was an elderly lady. She came out of the store. She came out of the store. She went to her car and she saw four people sitting in her car. So she drops all her bags and she goes to her pocketbook. and She pulls out this really big Clint Eastwood gun. And she goes, I have a gun and I know how to use it. Well, the guys didn't wait for her second invitation. All four of them got out of the car and ran the other direction. So she gets in the car. She puts all her bags there. She sits in the seat. And the first thing she notices is the seat's a little further back than it normally is. And then she's a little nervous. She's trying to have a hard time. She tries to put the key in the ignition, and it doesn't fit. It's at that moment right there she realizes this ain't her car that her car was like four or five rows over. So she goes to turn herself in. She goes to the police department, and there at the other end of the counter is the four guys. And they all point her, that's the crazy woman that hijacked our car. (laughs) Well, the good thing is she admitted she did something wrong. She didn't get any charges pressed against her. That was grace. We're talking about the series called Grace, and grace is a two-sided coin, or grace is part of a two-sided coin, The coin is love. That's where it all starts. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Grace is on one side of the coin and mercy is on the the other side. And grace is this unmerited favor. And mercy is we don't get the punishment that we deserve. Every one of us has a grace story. Maybe yours hasn't started yet, but you'll have a grace story. And as we've uncovered this, I gave a big theological kind of dissertation about what grace was according to theologians. And we all sat there and we kind of just scratched our head because it didn't make any sense. So I said, let's dumb it down a little bit. This is what grace is. God changed the plan in the middle of our stories to let us go. That's what grace is. Right in the middle of our stories, our mess ups, our hurts, our habits, our hang ups, all the things that we've done wrong, right in the middle of that, he changes the story. And that's grace. Today, we're going to learn about a man, David, who blew it in a big way. Now, what's automatically kind of interesting to me is when I read the story, you wouldn't think that a guy of this stature would make the mistakes that he made. Like he's a king and he's got thousands upon thousands upon servants and hundreds of wives as we're going to look at. But he blew it in a big way. And here's what I want us to get. This is the same teenager that we just sang about. The same guy we just sang about, David, right? And, and, and Goliath and how he took a few small stones out of a creek and he, he kills Goliath. It's the same one. It's the same one, by the way, that wrote the majority of the Psalms and probably the most famous Psalm. Most people, even if we're not churched, have gone and heard it somewhere. It's the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want. He makes me lie down... Besides still water pastures. This is the very unsurely goodness and mercy. Will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we go, Yes. It's the same one that wrote that that blows it in a big way. It, it, by the way, it was intentional too. It's not like, because have you ever made a mistake and it was just like, like it, you happened upon it? Like it just, it just happened. This one, he thought it through, he was intentional. It starts out, he's sitting there. I don't know why he goes out. He walks out on his balcony. As he's out on the balcony, he looks across the way, and there he sees Bathsheba. She's taking a bath. Now, we have all made mistakes. We've all put ourselves in places that we don't have control over, that we we, we can walk away from. The problem with David is he walked toward the sin, not away from the sin. And he tells his servant, he says, go get that woman. The servant says this, do you know who that is? That's Uriah's one of your chief soldiers. That's Uriah's wife, and she's already married to, the, to this man Uriah. You can. She, go, get, go get her right now. As it unfolds, she comes back around, and the Bible says that David used his power against her. He seduced her. How do you how do you justify it? Like this is the same, this is the same person that. We read later on in Scripture that it was a man after God's own heart, but in the midst of this struggle and this problem and this issue, there's this huge sin right there. When he learned that Uriah was the husband, he decided to, to try to kill him. He had in the process found out that she became him and said, listen, I'm pregnant, and you're the dad. Could you imagine that? And then, so this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna plan. plan Uriah to come back, and we're gonna make sure that Uriah sleeps with Bathsheba so everybody will think it's Uriah's child. Uriah, meeting a man of honor, comes back and says, I can't do that. I would be disrespectful to my soldiers that go out on the battlefield and then come back, and why they're fighting and dying and, and all that. And I come back and I have a relationship with my wife, so he sleeps on the floor. Infuriated oh, David. So David writes on a piece of paper and has Uriah go back to the front line and deliver this to his CEO, And it's a death warrant. What he was going to do, this was the plan. Can you imagine this? And don't tell me sin doesn't get deeper and deeper and deeper when we're in sin. It was bad enough that he had an affair. Now he's getting ready to kill Uriah. So he says this, he says when the front line, you put him in the front line, put him all the way out there. And when the other team, the other side starts to attack, withdraw all our soldiers and leave Uriah there by himself, surely to die. This whole process has happened and we read about a situation in, in 2 Samuel because during this battle, he ends up dying. And David ends up marrying Bathsheba and 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven says this, when the period of mourning was over, so when, 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 when Bathsheba was over mourning, David sent for her and brought her to the palace and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased what David had done. Now, I'm I'm push pause for a second because this is important you may think that you're getting away with it. There may be nobody else in the world that knows what you did or I did, but the Lord does. In this moment right here, what does it say? But the Lord was displeased. Nobody else knew what happened. The servant was the only one. Bathsheba wasn't going to tell anybody. She was embarrassed, but the Lord knew. It wasn't long after that that the prophet named Nathan came and confronted David with his sin. And i want to read some. It's not going to be on the side screens, but you want to talk about a powerful, like exposing of, of this whole situation. It's actually titled, Nathan Rebukes King David. How do you do that? So the Lord said to Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There was two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal for his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. You all catching this? This person had a lot. This person had one. David had a lot. Uriah had one. Now watch what happens here. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one who stole and had no pity on. Now at the end of the story, we could just like push pause. But this is the best part of the story. David's in fury. He's, he's fresh. He's, I'm going to kill that guy. So he goes, Nathan, who is that guy? And Nathan goes, you are that man. You are that man. So in the midst of this, this, this story, in the midst of all the struggle, he's being confronted. He's being called out. He blew it in a big way. And now everybody knows he blew it. He's having to confess his sin. Bathsheba's now heavy with a child. When the smoke all clears, though, the child ends up dying. So now it's two deaths. It's Uriah and this little child. And during the time of his repentance, his renewal, his somehow or another, coming back to God, he writes the most amazing psalm, Psalm 51. And in it is a letter that he writes in in, in repentance to God, saying, God, I'm sorry for the things I've done. Now, here's what I want to get. That's a lot of bad stuff right there. It's our story, though, isn't it? Maybe we didn't have murder somebody, maybe we didn't have a child dial in our case, maybe we didn't. but we've all blown it in big ways. But David teaches us how to make things right after a big wrong. David teaches us that there's still grace, And in the middle of David's story, what'd he do? He stopped the story and he rewrote it. That's grace but there's some responsibility on our part. Every one of us has a responsibility. I know that we are not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by his grace. I get all that. But you know something? There's a responsibility on our part to do what we're called to do and God does what he does. The very first thing we gotta get, in order to receive grace, we must admit that we need grace. And so many of us don't really, want to, we're so strong, we're so big, we're so bold, we're so you know, prominent that we're afraid to ever admit we need something from anybody. David's not, though. In Psalms 51, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Have mercy on me. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Watch me clean from my guilt. Purify my sin, for I recognize my, my rebellion. It haunts me. It haunts me day and night. Against you, and this is key, if you have an analog Bible, you may want to underline this verse four. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. I gotta say it. David was guilty, and he knew it. David was guilty, and he was big enough to admit that he had done something wrong. Anybody watch basketball, like professional basketball? Nobody, great. I have a story about basketball. You better raise your hand. Anybody remember Dennis Rodman? Okay, he married like Madonna for a minute. Y'all remember him? Like he used to have wild hair. And there was a story. There was a a, a, a book written about him. That I read several years ago, and he talks about this. I didn't know this until I read the book. He had 46 siblings. His dad was actually left left three. And uh, he's from Trenton, New Jersey, the the booming metropolis of Trenton, New Jersey, where good people are born. Um. But then he moved to, I think, Atlanta. And then after that, his dad was an Air Force um, pilot and went to all these different countries, had 46 different children. Um, So no wonder he was messed up, right? Talk about Christmas. (laughs) But Dennis Rodman, I don't know if you remember the story. It's when he was playing for the Chicago Bulls and he got pushed out of bounds. And when he got pushed out of bounds, he ran into a photographer and he kicked the photographer in his special place and hurt him really bad. They fined Dennis Rodman $200,000 and suspended him for 11 games. And his answer was this. The only reason they're doing that is because I have money and he doesn't. Not that he did anything wrong. He said, and by the way, it was just a shove. There was national cameras on this guy the whole time he did it. See, it's not, and it's not just guys like that. We see it in sports all the time. We see it with people, actors. They do something wrong. They know it's wrong, but they try to weasel their way out. They don't admit they have a problem. They don't admit they have a struggle. They don't admit they ever did anything wrong. And too often we're the same way with our sin. We justify it. Listen, everybody's padding their expense accounts. Everybody, everybody's having an affair. Everybody's doing this thing. Everybody drives around, and t- everybody does this. And before you know it, you have justified whatever you want to try to justify. Or you know what? This is even worse. This is even more dangerous. We pretend it's not so bad. It's not bad. It's not that bad. Yeah, it's not good. It's a situation where we have Jack the Ripper and Mary Poppins. And you know who I'm talking about? Jack the Ripper and Mary Poppins. And what we do is we compare ourselves to Jack the Ripper all the time, right? We go, well, I never killed anybody. I'm not as bad as Jack. And look, but you're not as good as Mary Poppins. And by the way, the standard isn't Jack the Ripper or Mary Poppins. The standard is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and we've read it several times over the last couple of weeks. Romans 7 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Isaiah says that all of our righteousness is filthy rags. So we all fall short of that standard. The problem is so many of us won't admit it that we've done something wrong. We need his help. Um, as long as we maintain that attitude, forgiveness and, and, and restoration and grace and mercy will never come to us. Um, how many people have children? Just raise your hand real high. How many people want to get rid of their children? Raise your hand real higher. We're not keeping them here. You have to find someplace else to put them. Um, when I was a child, I was, I was a miracle child. What are you all like? My mom's sitting over there. She's going to agree with me. She's over in the atrium right now. I pointed over there like y'all know where she's sitting and who she is. She's, she's in the atrium. Just say, hi, mom. Yeah, so. She's pat to you. She's mom to me. Um, but I was the perfect child. They never had any problems with me. I never, um, I never got in trouble. I never, never got spanked. Never uh, never washed out with soap. But well, there was one time. And what I did, I, I don't even remember what I did. It was, it was that petty. Um, but my mom's asked me the question, and the question was this was, are you sorry that you got caught? Or are you sorry that you did something wrong? How many people have tried that one on your kids? How many have it had to them? There's only one right answer to this, right? And then there's the truth. The right answer is, I'm sorry, oh, mother, that bore this beautiful child. I am sorry that I have displeased your Highness. Right? That's the right answer. So I came out with, I'm sorry. I I didn't want to, like, I didn't realize that I'm sorry. And then an hour and a half later, went back and did the very same thing I got in trouble with. What does that say? I was sorry that I got caught. And in our lives, sometimes we're not sorry because we displeased the father. We're sorry because we got caught caught or somebody else caught us, and it was an embarrassment, or it cost us our job, or it cost us a relationship, or it cost us you know, money, whatever it did. And we're not sorry that we displeased the Heavenly Father, that we've sinned and fallen short. We're sorry because it has ramifications in our life right now. And see, that's not what David's doing in this situation. David could have made all kinds of excuses. Do you know that? He could have said, honestly, David could have said, it's all Bathsheba's fault. She, she, could, she, shouldn't, have been, she, she shouldn't have been naked out there. Like, she should have been inside the house. Like, she was flaunting herself. Or she you know, it was know, it, it was like, like what would you do if it was a naked woman right there in front of you? Would have done the same exact thing? All kinds of things. Or he could have literally said, God, it's your fault because you put her out there. And then he could have said, I'm going to blame it all on my other wives. You know, he had hundreds of wives. And he could have you, if you guys would have been taking care of me like you should have, the way God wants you to take care of me, this wouldn't have happened. That's not what he said, though. Verse 3. For I recognize my rebellion, watch this, and it haunts me day and night. It's right there with me. Some of us are going in this room right now, you you know what he's talking about. It's called guilt, right? It's called shame, and it haunts us day and night. That thing is always, even if nobody else knows about it, it haunts you day and night. Verse 4. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right and what, is, uh, what you say in your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. This is one of the reasons I say that every person that walks the planet is a, a sinner by birth and by choice. We were all born into this, and we all make a choice daily to sin. He said, for I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Have, have you ever noticed this? That when something good happens, we're quick to take credit for it right? Like, hey, I got this award. Hey, look at me. High five me. Got an award. Did a good job. High five. But when it comes to sin or failing, no, it's somebody else's fault. Somebody else did that. Somebody, that was somebody else that did that. It's not easy to accept the responsibility for our failures. But if we want to get back in the right standings with God and we want to receive his grace, we have to get to that point that we say, God, you know something against you, against you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. Create a clean heart me. Renew that right spirit. Um, anybody watch football? I'll give you guys a chance to redeem yourself. Watch football. Perfect. So Ed Hockley. Anybody knows who Ed, Ed Hockley? Some some of you do. If you're a woman, maybe you don't watch. I, I was going to be sexist. I'm, I said I'm sorry. I apologize. If you are not a football connoisseur, you've probably still seen him if you've ever watched the Super Bowl. Because Ed Hockley is the referee that's been asked to do the Super Bowl more than any other referee. I'll give you, he's the guy with the big arms. Yeah, yet, everybody knows who I'm talking about now. He walks around like this. He's bigger than the football players. I don't know how he, like, how do, I don't know how he scratches his nose. Like, but Ed Hockley was a referee, and what they do at every game, I didn't know this until recently, at every game, um, they have eight-hour sessions that they bring referees together, and they look at the calls that they made throughout a course of a game that's, you know, maybe a two-hour game, and they take the ones that make the best calls, and they keep moving them up. They put the playoffs, and they put the playoffs, and they get the Super Bowl, and all that kind of stuff, and that's why he's the number one rated, or was the number one rated um, referee as far as making the right calls, but one time. Jay Cutler is playing for the Denver Broncos. He goes back in the pocket. And what seemingly, and Ed Hockley calls a fumble, or an a, a a incomplete pass, the ball drops. Now, this is before replay, so they can't go to the replay. He blows the whistle, and he calls it an incomplete pass, which means Denver Broncos get the ball back. The problem was it was actually a fumble as they watched the screen and and, and things happen, and what would have happened was San Diego would have got the ball and potentially won the game, but instead, San Diego, Jay Cutler throws the ball, and touchdown, game over. Major mistake. Ed Hockley walks over to Norv Turner, who was the coach at San Diego at the time. He walks over, and he goes, I blew it, man. I'm sorry. Like, that was so bad. It was such a bad call. But once I blew the whistle, there's nothing I can do about it. He received, before he got to his car, 20,000 emails before he got to his car. Calling, like, people were calling for his job. They wanted to, because he made one mistake. Now, the, the biggest thing, it's amazing, and his response was just so powerful how he handled this. He said this to the uh, San Diego Union Tribune. Affecting the outcome of a game is a devastating feeling. Officials strive for perfection, and I, watch this, I failed miserably. Could you imagine anybody in this room going to say that? No, we're going to, it was his fault. It was that person's fault over there. The 20,000 emails, he started sending back Apologies. And this is, what, this is what, to his amazement, this is what was sent back to him. People were saying how great it was that I admitted I made a mistake. Obviously, I was wrong. Obviously, I felt terrible about. What's so surprising about it? You know what's so surprising about it? Because most people, most people don't admit they've done anything wrong. And Ed Hockley did. The best thing we can do is own up to our mistakes. It's the best thing as a father. It's the best thing as a mother. It's the best thing as a coach. It's the best thing as a pastor just to say, I'm coming clean on this. Years ago we had a Saturday night service and I was sitting there and I walk up on the stage and I got a little, little chuckles, lots of laughs. And one of the things that you'll find out about preachers is when they get one laugh, they want to get another laugh. It's something that builds our self-esteem or something, I don't know. So I was getting chuckles, getting chuckles, and I said something. And it wasn't a chuckle when I said it. And I walked down, I walked down the stage, Ben Woodward, who was our worship pastor at the time, was up here. At the end of the last song, we were singing a song. I walked back up, and I said that your pastor has just failed. I said something I should have never said. It was a ref- reference to um, something special needs. should have never been said. It was funny. It was a, it was a joke. I, I didn't mean it. And you know what I realized that day? The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Lots of time, it's stored up here, stored up here, stored up here, and all of a sudden, it blurts out, at the least opportune moment. Least opportune moment. So that's it. Let me give you the second one. In order to receive grace, we need to acknowledge that only God can change our lives. That only God can change our lives. Nobody else can change our lives. We can't change our own lives. One of the things I love about CR, CR is Celebrate Recovery. It's upstairs on Monday nights. It starts at 6 30 for people that have hurts, habits, and hang up. It's not just addiction but hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And one thing I love about it, and I have lots of friends that are involved in CR, it's not come to CR and we have this higher power and we don't acknowledge, it's they realize, we realize that only Jesus Christ can clean us up. Only Jesus Christ, there's nobody else that can clean We We, we will fail miserably trying to clean ourselves up. That's what David realized. Listen what he says. This is the cry of his heart. This is his prayer. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And then he says, create in me a clean heart O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit. Uh, King James says, renew a right spirit in me. Renew that, that place where I was before. See, here's what I've learned. I can mess up my own life without anybody else's help. Anybody else? But I can't clean it up. I, I, need, I need Jesus to help me to clean my life up. And I love what he says in first, uh, first John, says like this, and this is how we have to come to God, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all of our weakness, weak, wickedness. Getting back on track requires a change of direction. we got to go the other way. I love the way verse 11 says, Do not banish me from your presence, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. There's four things, the four statements right there. The first one he says, that he says, do not banish me from your presence. He said, this is what he's saying. Spend time, I need to spend time with him. I need to spend time with the Holy, Holy Spirit. That's the second part of that. He says, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. And that we would be filled with his presence on a daily basis. How you do that is you spend time with the Father. You spend time in the morning or in the afternoon or the evening time, you're in his word, you're listening to, you know, to scripture, whatever it is, you're spending time with him. And then ask God to joy, to restore the joy. And you know, it cracks me up and I'm looking at some people right now. I'm not thinking about you, but some of us look like we've been baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> like first service. I didn't do it. second service cause I didn't want to embarrass anybody. First service I turned around. I didn't really like there was a person that had both their hands up and they, they were like the stinky face. Do you want to know something? If you know who Jesus is, you have joy in your life. It should come across that you have joy in your life. We shouldn't be walking around with the mulligan. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. It says this, a merrieth heart, a good heart, a merrieth heart, a happy heart. It's good like a medicine. It, It does something inside of us. If you're around people that are smiling all the time, what do you have a tendency to do? Smile. If you haven't, if they're always, what what are you doing? doing, So this is why I don't hang out with some of you. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. So we're going to do something. Everybody smile. I said smile. Some of you like, you haven't smiled in years. Like if you know, if you have Jesus right here, it's got to come out right here. That's what David's saying. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. There's something exciting knowing that the grace story, that uh, they the the, 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 sent his son for me. There's something you know amazing and joyful about the fact that in the middle of my story at 17 years old, he rewrote my story. There's something to be happy about. And we should show that. Let me give you the last thing. We're going to close right here. In order to give grace or receive grace, we also need to be ready to extend Grace. Did y'all hear that? In order to receive it, we have to be able to extend it. That means we have to be able to give it to people around us. This may be the hardest part of grace. Listen listen what he says here. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves me. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. And he goes on to talk about sacrifice and all that other kind. But you know what he's saying right there? Because of what you've done in my life, I've got to tell somebody about it. my, my, my taglines on my, my email at the very bottom of my email, is, it just says as "Change people, change people." When, when, when Jesus Christ has changed your life, you have to tell other people about it. You can't, you can't keep it bottled up inside. It just doesn't work that way. And, and what I 've learned is people that have been extended grace offer grace in a whole different proportion than other people. They give it out more freely. I, I have a friend of mine. I haven't talked to her in years, but I thought about her because I was I was at a store. And anybody ever see the the thing called the Daily Bread? Yeah, you know, they, they still have those somewhere. I, I, I think this one was from 1962 or something. But I was reading it, and it reminded me of. So when we were in youth group in, in New Jersey, we walked in one day, and it was one of our girls, ladies, that were crying, and she had just found out that one of her family members was killed in a car accident by a drunken driver. And one of our leaders was named Faye. And I didn't know Faye's story until that night. So we're all crying and, you know, singing Kumbaya and holding each other's hands and all that kind of stuff. And Faye said, one of the hardest things for you to do is at some point in your life, you're going to have to extend grace to that person that killed your family member. And she told her story, and this is her story. When she was 17 years old, 17, 18 years old, her mom and dad both were killed by by a drunk driver. And I'll tell you what, if that was my mom and dad that had that happen to me, I'm not sure that would have extended anything. But she started visiting the guy in prison, eventually led him to Jesus. She said, The most influential and powerful day in that relationship was when I looked across and I said to him, I forgive you for doing the stupidest thing you could possibly do and killing my parents. I think he spent seven, 10 years in jail. When he got out, he didn't have a place to stay. Faye and her husband allowed this guy to stay with him. That's grace. He deserved nothing. But what he got was freedom. And he got forgiveness. That's our story. That's every person in this room's story. Whether you've acknowledged it at this point or not, it's everyone's story. We deserve death. Jesus went to the cross, and because he went to the cross, I have life now. Grace and mercy. I want to do something together today, if we could. Just just want to pray together. So if you do me a favor, just bow your heads for a second. I don't know where you're at. There's a key word in this whole process, and the word is repentance. And repentance means I turned the other direction. And I said up front, some of us have walked into this place today with some big, big stuff, and some of us have little stuff. Some of us have stuff that nobody knows about. Some of us have stuff that people do know about. But all of us have blown it at some time or another. And some people think that repentance is just feeling guilty. You just feel guilty for it. And I've got bad news for you. That's not, that's not enough. By nature, what happens when we... When, when, when sin's exposed, we do feel guilty, there is a little bit of shame. There is, there, there is a time where we go, you know something, I, I deserve this kind of stuff. But if you never stop feeling guilty, you probably haven't really repented because repentance removes all guilt. When we truly repent, we're free, we're set free. The Bible says the captive is set free. And you've probably heard people say this. It's like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. That's exactly what happens when we receive his grace. Is a weight is lifted off us. We can mess up our whole entire life by ourselves, but it takes an act of God to get it right. Right now, what I pray is that there's conversations between you and the Heavenly Father. You don't have to walk up, you don't have to sign a card, there's no secret room we're gonna take you to. A conversation between you and the Heavenly Father. And it starts out by saying, "God, fix me. I'm broken. Created me a clean heart. I've sinned against you and against you alone, and only have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. And God, today, I want to make it right. At that moment, Scripture implies." that we're giving our lives to Jesus. We're giving him our heart. He wants more than our hearts. He wants our everything. But today, let it start with just that simple conversation. Heavenly Father, right now in this moment, I don't know what people walked in here with. I know what I walked in here with. And I need to be clean. I need to be whole. I've carried bad attitudes. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've treated people the opposite of the way you would have me treat people. So today, God, here I am. Do something in me. Take me and turn me into something new. God, I pray that there's multiple people on this campus, Sherwood, online, maybe in our atrium, praying prayers similar to that. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextstepsjourneycommunity.net.